Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> and Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the word of God. Good morning, family. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. I look around, I see so many beautiful faces, and this is such a beautiful season, a season of examination, a season of repentance. See, I believe this season is meant to drive us to becoming the people we are always meant to be. I am so excited to celebrate with you the Christmas season, but I don't want to skip this season. This season is beautiful. You see, the Advent series John Mark said earlier involves four weeks of preparation as we await our coming King, Messiah, and friend. Church, I want us to be expectant in this season of whatever God wants to do in our midst. Amen? Not our will, but his will be done. Not our will, but his will be done. While meditating on the overarching theme of Advent, um, our, our team came together and we prayed for a little bit, and then I went home and thought about a theme that kind of summarizes what I'm hoping that we get in this season. And what I hope as we study these next four weeks is that we see some old stories for today's hope. Some old stories for today's hope. That is our sermon title for this week, and I pray this old story today really speaks to us. You see, Hannah's prayer 
sets a theological tone or how you're supposed to understand God in the book of Samuel. First Samuel is a book that gives hope for Israel to have an ideal king with David as an archetype or a standard of what a king should look like. Israel had high hopes that one day God would be, God's people would be ruled by a true king that was seemingly out of reach for them before. Why do I say that? Well, the book of Judges. In fact, I was reading in the book of Judges this week. There was a person named Drubabel or Drubabel or Gideon. You might know him. When he was in his right mind, Gideon was a warrior. That dude was a soldier. When he's in his right mind, he said after defeating the Midianites in Judges 8.23 that they were looking for a king, but he wasn't going to be it. I will not rule over you, and my son, who is also a warrior, will not rule over you either. The Lord will rule over you. This story happened over and over and over again, where after the deaths of Moses and Joshua and Caleb, great leaders, God would raise up people called judges to sometimes speak prophetic words to them, to lead them in battles, to destroy their enemies. Through their leadership, the people would do well, sometimes for just a couple years, sometimes for decades. But when they were gone, and sometimes while they were there, they would eventually fall back into idolatry. And therefore, God would lead them to their own devices, which was usually something like some destruction, some civil war, some famine. Or he would allow some other nation to come. I'm telling you, that was a, it was a fun read this week, y'all. Y'all getting the word. It's fun. It's a good read. It's encouraging. It's challenging. The Midianites came and camped on Gideon's family. And they had to run up to the hills just so that they could, just so they could have some, some crops. They were scaring them out. They were starving them out. Over and over again. The worst part of the whole story is that it kept happening over and over again. And the end of Judges finishes with a pretty dark statement. See, there have been some corruption, even amongst the Levites, who were God's priests of the day. That doesn't sound familiar, does it? Why did they keep messing up? Well, they attributed it to not having a tangible king. And what Judges 21, 25 says is in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone, not just like some people, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What a bummer, right? Sounds like a bummer. Instead of realizing that they had the king of the world on their side, they lost their way because they had no human king. That sounds crazy, right? Got God as a king? I want a king. 
I look to a human, they're failing all the time. Sounds familiar? But God being rich in mercy was not done with them. Although God was not being exalted in their midst like he ought, God did what he does. He bursts onto the scene in the most unexpected way, full of grace, full of grace that causes new hope amongst his people. Amen? That's what God does. No wonder why the theological themes in our prayer today in this text show up throughout the rest of the other scriptures over and over again. Israel needed a permanent king, not just a temporary judge or a wayward priest. And then poof, here comes Hannah. <laughs> Little old Hannah. Here goes God doing what God does, remembering his covenant, being steadfast to his people over and over again. This story starts off kind of rocky. It's not quite the story you tell to your kids at night. I mean, you might, but sometimes you probably dumb it down a little bit so they can understand. We're going to tell it the way it is. And guess what? These stories are, yes, inspired by God because they are the word of God. But these are also stories of real people. You hear that? This is the inspired word of God, preserved for you, God keeping it, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But it is also a real-life story of a real-life woman celebrating a real miraculous birth. The Bible is a real book, y'all. Do you remember Hannah's story prior to this prayer, church? If not, that's okay. Let's dive into the text at hand, and she will tell it by the way she's praying. What's she saying? I have three points. You're going to hear me say, what's she saying? And the first point is, praise belongs to God to the God of reversals. What's she saying? Praise God to the God of reversals. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. She said my heart exalts or rejoices in the Lord. Hannah showed a depth of commitment and hope and love for God that may humble us today. I really hope it does. Do you remember what she was giving up? What she had to go through? In chapter one, we see what we need to know about her struggle. I'm gonna invite you, if you have your word, to open it up to chapter one. In particular, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 right now. The Bible explains her story as a struggle. It says, year by year, she was, she was from a place and she was going up to celebrate, to go to a place called Shiloh. 
And year by year, she would go up. And every single time she would go up, her rival, Penaniah, as they would go up to sacrifice and offer sacrifices, would start running her mouth. You ain't got no kids. <laughs> yeah, you see my kids? Look at my kids. Where your kids at? Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where your kids at, homie? Where your kids? That was what she did and how she deal with year after year after year. She would go up and offer sacrifices and pray. God, would you open my womb? Would you make me fertile? Would you take away my shame? And year after year, she waited with seemingly no answer from the Lord. Penanah was trying to start some drama. I don't know what every year looked like. I don't know if it was a daily struggle. I don't know if she just picked a fight on those days. But that year she had enough. And she broke down weeping. And her non-empathetic husband was not able to console her. Talking about, don't I complete you? Don't I complete you? Ain't I worth like 10 sons to you? Now, fellas, I don't know uh, if you know this, but uh, uh, you ain't everything. <laughs> Your wife will tell you real quick if you just ask her. Your friends will tell you. El Canal was like, why you, why you got a bad heart? Hannah didn't have no bad heart. She had the right heart. She had the right heart. But praise God, because he saw her weeping. He heard her prayers, and he responded. He gave her a son. The very thing she longed for, probably more than anything in the world. God reversed her shame. She was able to triumph because God exalted her horn. The horn is used often as a picture of strength in the Bible. You can see it in Psalm 75. You can see it in Psalm 92. This is because the strength of an ox or steer could be expressed in its horn. She is able to praise God because of God's salvation that allows for the victory to come. <clears throat> it is he who exalts her over her enemies and not her own strength. God is restoring or reversing her fortunes. Could you imagine this, y'all? Going through the same stuff year after year, but now Hannah can rejoice because the Lord lifted her up. 
and reveal to her like he did to Moses in his song in Deuteronomy 32, that he alone is holy and he is a rock. Do you believe that, church? Is your God holy before you? Is he a rock to you? He was to Hannah. He's the very stability that Hannah longed for. He's the very stability that we long for. And this is in stark contrast to the proud. Verse 3 says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him, his actions are weighed. Hannah certainly had her rival, right? She certainly probably had this in mind as she was praying this. And I was probably a representative of all of the proud and arrogant people in the world, symbolically. But the Lord is the God of knowledge. He knows us, and by his actions, we are weighed. Remember I said earlier that the scene was kind of corrupt, not only for the leaders of the day, but also for the priests. And here comes little Hannah to Shiloh with her broken family to sacrifice while getting tagged for her infertility. It couldn't get any worse, except it did. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, when Eli spoke arrogantly and out of turn as well and judged her motives before even knowing Eli, Eli thought, yo, this poor woman is drunk. What's she doing up in here? What's she doing? Is she drunk? Is she in the house of the Lord being drunk? Mm-mm. Hey, woman. Mm-mm. Stop your drunkenness. Well, she was letting her mouth move. That poor, tormented woman was troubled deeply in her spirit, though, trying her hardest to trust the promises of God and hold on. That was what she was doing. Eli saw drunkenness. In all actuality, she was pledging her son her not-yet-son with a Nazarite vow, a vow to be clean, to not have any alcohol, to not cut the hair, to be set apart for the work of God, dedicating him to the Lord. That's what Hannah was doing. Think of Samson, no alcohol, no cutting of hair. And here, Eli's rebuking her while, she's, while he's struggling to teach his own sons how to be faithful. Sounds like some log and eye type stuff, right? Man. That's what Jesus would say, I think. Her response was gracious to him. Some of us need to learn the tact she displayed. 
because she respected the fact that he was a Levite, a priest. And God still uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. But after gently correcting him, she was blessed by Eli. As Eli realized what God already knew, that her motives were true. God knows and God weighs. My church friends, I can't move on from here. Listen, as I was thinking about this, I had to say this. I have to say this. I think this is from the Lord. I don't know who it's for. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We serve in a priestly role to the people in our community and the people beyond. Please don't make the mistake Eli did. Praise God, Hannah was a faith-filled woman. She was a strong woman, a loving woman. But could you imagine the pain that accusation could have incurred? After all the things she did and was going through, she comes to the house of the Lord and is looking for healing. Instead, gets accusation. Be careful who you call a drunk who is actually a child of God. I digress. Let's keep moving. What she's saying, number two, God will humble the strong and exalt the weak. Let's read. Verse four says, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were, who, excuse me, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shale and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Verses 4 through 8. You know, one thing that might be helpful from what I just said for us to continue to meditate on is is that we are not the strong in the story. That will help us understand how to not be judgmental. This passage seems to point us to the truth that we were small, weak, and frail. I say we because Hannah herself switches gears from an individual praise to the praise of God for the reversal of his people in verses four through eight. His people, plural. If you are God's people, you are the weak. And we should praise God for the hope of exaltation as he lifts up the weak and humbles the strong. Verses four through eight continues this theme of change in the human trends. The mighty lose like some suckers and the weak are balling like Kobe. Verse five, those plural, those, those plural who are well-fed now end up starving. And those who don't eat good now are full of food, Thanksgiving style. Thanksgiving style, y'all. 
Y'all had some greens this week. Y'all don't even understand. See, I got Morgan and Chauncey. No, as soon as I hit it, y'all don't understand. Them greens was hitting at Mama's house. Man, they were bomb, you know, with the ham and everything in it. It's bomb. We're going to be fooled. God's people, Thanksgiving style. I've seen some of y'all post. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? A big feast of food. You see, the woman again who had plenty of kids is now lonely. While the woman that had none has a daycare full of kids. Y'all, this is the reversal of God's kingdom. This is the reversal of what God is doing in Hannah's life and our lives. God makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. God is in control. Hannah is saying, look how bright your future is, Israel. You were in the ash heap, verse 8, literally like a mound of trash or other waste. And God made you like a phoenix off of the Harry Potter series. Y'all remember that? Remember that? There was a phoenix. He died, burned, and then out of that ash heap, there was a phoenix. You know what I mean? Okay, that's cool. Uh, Thanks, man. Thank you. Uh, You were a beggar off the streets, and God has given you a place of honor to sit with princes. God is just like that, and he has authority to do so because the pillars of the earth are his. This is your future Israel, and if you are in Christ, church, you are the true Israel. (laughs) You get that? Church, what she's talking about here, the reversal of fortunes for for, for her and her people, is the same reversal of fortunes that's going to happen in your life and your people. The church is the true Israel. This is your hope that though you were weak, he is strong. That though you were helpless, he is able. That though you were in the dump, Jesus Christ with all his power came in glory and lifted you up, dusted you off, gave you a place of honor, and it's all because Jesus showed up and all you did was bow down. You said yes to King Jesus. You were the king of the world. Would you be Lord of my life? And Jesus said yes, and he was happy to do so. God opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. Church, this is you whether you believe it or not. Maybe this season, as John Mark was talking earlier, maybe this season will be more about repentance from false humility. Maybe, just maybe, God will remind you of the truth of who you are and who you are in God's people, and that will set you free and get you prepared to celebrate in Christ. That wasn't even on here, but I, I, I wonder, I wonder if God wants to tell you that the hope that you have in Jesus is worth celebrating, 
that Jesus has transformed your situation, gave you a new hope and a new life. Maybe, just maybe, the hope that you've always been looking for in very small and insignificant things you will find in Christ, the little baby born in a manger. Submit yourself to Jesus. He will lift you up. Got ahead of myself, y'all, but I, I just couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. But what's most beautiful about this, y'all, is what comes next in the prayer. This prayer was not only about her and Israel's past and present, but it's also about his future through the salvation that can only come from God. In the future, there was going to be a messianic king. If you keep reading the story, you see that her son and the ones that he anoints king over Israel are not enough to fulfill what is going on in verse 9. Samuel wasn't it. Saul definitely wasn't it. David was an archetype. And he started low. But when he got some power, you saw what happened. These kings partially, partially showed some things that were going to happen later from the messianic figure that they had longed for. But it wasn't complete. This prayer anticipates the completion of God's mission through Jesus. What's she saying? God will deliver his people through his messianic king. Verses 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointing. In verse 9, it is Jesus who is, this is ultimately pointing to. He will guard the feet of his faithful, faithful ones. The word here in Greek for faithful ones means one to whom the Lord has pledged his covenant love. It's very close to what John Mark has been teaching us with hesed, his steadfast love. This word in the Psalms is often contrasted with the wicked like it is here in our text. Jesus is guarding the feet of the faithful one. And the wicked, they're getting cut off. Hannah learned that the battles in this life The battles of this life is not always a physical battle and strength. In fact, Hannah learned that it's not through her strength that she will ultimately get to victory. Hannah wants to make sure we know this, y'all. So she says it again, just like she said earlier in this prayer. It is God who will get the victory for us. And he will thunder against our enemies. In verse 6 in chapter 1, again, Peninnah would irritate her, right? It says she would come against her and irritate Hannah. That's an okay translation, okay? But a better translation would be that she thundered against her. Do you, do you, you catch that? That she would thunder against her. Look what's happening. 
This is clear poetic justice. Her enemy was thundering against her to cause her grief, and the Lord would thunder against them if they are unwilling to repent. God's people will triumph over their enemies, even if in the, these days we are called to love them. As Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to them. We don't have to worry about it. God will get the vengeance. You remember what God said? The vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And oh, won't he do it? You know, Jesus had many enemies. In fact, I was an enemy. God alone judges rightly. And God chose to crush his son. His judgments are right and true and good. There is no victory unless evil is punished. The cross of Christ has taken the punishment that was meant for you and I. And so I plead with you, if you don't know Jesus, won't you come to him? There is free grace ready to be poured out on you. There's free grace ready to be poured out on you. Because although Jesus was crushed for the sins of the world, God the Father, by the power of God the Holy Spirit, raised God the Son from the grave. God gave Jesus Christ the strength, the keys to the kingdom. God the Father gave him strength and exalted the horn of his anointed, Jesus. And Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father on the throne. The pillars of the world are his. And the only thing that separates you from him is your pride. Let go this season and let God. Save yourself from when he will return again and set all things right. For he will judge the ends of the earth, verse 10 says. But it is not his desire at all that any should perish. God has made a way, and he loves you, and he is waiting on you. Don't you want his protection? Don't you want his salvation? See, this is the hope that Hannah had. Church fam, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ is much deeper than we think. Sometimes we skip over the story. It's just an old story. But I want to assert it's an old story for your hope today. Both Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, pick up on these themes for Hannah in Luke chapter 1. Both had miraculous births if you remember their story, happened right before their eyes. Both sang songs of hope in response. The coming king, the Messiah is here. He has brought low those who are high and exalted those who are low. He is setting the world right. And it's through this baby boy, God in the flesh, he is the king we long for. With the celebration of Christ's birth, 
right around the corner, what songs of hope are you singing for the king born for you in a manger? I'm say that one more time. With the celebration of Christ's birth right around the corner, what songs of hope are you singing for the king born for you in a manger? That's what we're called to do in this season. As we think on these things, as we go from here, I pray that you will sing new songs of hope and thankfulness to the Lord. Why don't you bow your heads to me? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you. It is not by our strength that we will ever attain the salvation that we long for. Lord, many of us have been in the place of Hannah multiple times in our lives. Maybe not the same exact circumstances, but man, were we being accused and ridiculed, pushed aside? hurt, trampled on. And yet, you have been the steadying force, the rock of salvation that we desperately long for the whole time. Father, would you help us to see Jesus as that in this season? Would you help us to extol, exalt him to the rightful place in our hearts? And Father, as that happens, Father, may it spur us on to sing songs of joy, songs of hope, rejoicing in your salvation. Father, we love you. It's through your precious son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.